when a SaaS company gets to series A and beyond, they'll usually start hiring an in-house product team. And that will consist of a head of product, product managers, and product designers. You might also have UX, UX people. If they're not a designer, they could be a UX researcher in there. That's usually the stage at which companies start to take product design quite seriously. But before that, you get a real range of different levels of investment in design. I'm John Wright, and you're listening to Affiliate BI, the business intelligence and affiliate marketing podcast brought to you by StatsDrone. Welcome to the Affiliate BI podcast. Today, we are chatting with Peter Loving. He's the founder of useractive.io, which is the SaaS design agency. He's a speaker at many UX, oh, he speaks a lot on UX at conferences like SaaS Stock, and I happen to be one of his happy clients using Useractive to redesign our SaaS app. So Peter, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me, John. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I want to get things started off by asking, what is your story of how you got uh, into product design? That's a good, that's a good question. <laughs> I was always interested in creative pursuits uh, generally. So from a pretty young age, I remember being uh, into art and music. And I remember actually designing things as a kid with sketching and drawing. So when it came to choosing like career paths, uh, design was an obvious choice for me. I just had a natural affinity towards design. So I studied product design in university. And that was actually designing um, consumer products. So 3D gadgets, you know, the kind of things that uh, uh, Johnny Ive at Apple designs, iPods, MP3 players and, and uh, phones. Um, but after finishing that, um, at that time, tech was really interesting on, on the web. So I pivoted and all of the core skill sets from product design that's uh, in 3D tangible products really apply. It really translates to digital. So a lot of the thinking concepts and theory is all the same. So the transition was really just learning, relearning the technical aspects of web development and design tools. Um, yeah. And then I, I basically in London designed uh, as a freelancer for maybe 10 years in agencies around London. Um, and then started my own agency. User Active is actually the second agency I've started and I basically decided to, to make it hyper-focused, do one service for one audience of the thing that I really am passionate about. So that's product design for SaaS companies. So I get to think about products and solving problems with products and uh, uh, making them look great as well. I get to think about that all day now. Yeah, I, I think uh, just from having the, the opportunity to work with you, it's you take a creative process and you streamline it as if you're an engineer or architect. So I just find it interesting that very challenging to combine like, you know, creative and structure and you know, engineering all into one. Yeah, it, it is actually. Um, it's taken us maybe three years to get our process because it, it's been an, um, it, it's a bit like working on a product, John, because, you know, you're always finessing things, you're iterating over it and improving it and improving it. So we've done that with our process, just working with many customers over the last three years, you know, always refining that process till we get it to, to be as smooth as possible. And I think that that really translates to design when you're working on a product too, similar kind of process. And I wanted to bring you on uh, for a, a different kind of angle. I mean, we're obviously doing a SaaS for affiliate marketers. So the topic today is always affiliate marketing. 
But after working with you, I strongly believe that if I had to start a website, an affiliate website all over again, I'd actually want to use your agency. So the irony is that you're going to focus on SaaS companies, not affiliate sites. So I just wanted to pass it back to you of what do you think about that? Maybe as a compliment, but um, maybe you have a look at affiliate sites and, and see like people just not really thinking user first all the way. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've designed a bunch of, uh, uh, yeah, like affiliate, affiliate products. So, um, it's familiar to us. Um, and when you said website, John, were you, were you referring to like the, the affiliate, uh, marketing website or the, or, or the platform? More, more the actual websites, like people just doing like blog posts where they've got different links and banners and comparison sites, uh, review sites. Uh, I think we're seeing a big evolution of these sites where they're becoming a bit more professional, more organized, but they're, I think the ones that do it well and the ones that are ranking stronger, they seem to have the user uh, experience kind of down. And if you look at the companies behind them, there's a lot of head of products or uh, CPOs behind these uh, as jobs behind these big com affiliate companies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, first of all, I, I appreciate the, appreciate the compliment and, and, and I, I understand that the, you know, why you might, might be thinking that way. And it's, it's because fundamentally when we're designing, we're always thinking about the end user. So we do our best job to really understand them and their needs and their goals. Um, so the more intimately we understand them, the better we are to then think up from their perspective of giving them the things that they need. So, um, at the beginning of any, any product or, or website, that's the process that we go through. It's really getting to understand those people. Um, what, what are they looking to achieve and what result do they want? And then when we understand how they usually get that result, we can create something that replicates that process and delivers that result for them online. So whether it's a website or a, pro or a product and, uh, it takes, uh, time getting to know them or spending time with them. We usually do user interviews or, uh, and research, or we might ask them questions or ask them, uh, find out a bunch of information about how they currently achieve the results that, that, you know, we're looking to help them with. Um, and essentially we, we, we create, um, an automated way of doing that or an alternative way of doing that, um, whether it be a website or, or a platform. Um, and that's really the fundamental part of getting good design. It's understanding the user, knowing, knowing the problem. We really define the problem. I mean, that's really key because then, then we want to solve that problem for it. So like if these are affiliate marketers, we want to know their big, big problems and we'll solve those in design. And, and that's kind of got to be part of helping them achieve their goals. Yeah, I think what I've noticed is I think a lot of people, they always want to take shortcuts. Like they take shortcuts mm -hmm. in content. Like they want to do 500 words instead of 2,500 words. Uh, when it comes to design, I mean, they'll spend minimal effort. And I think what you said is very true that you have a process, but I believe most people, they either don't do this process at all. And if they're going to do it, they actually spend the least amount of time. And I think you're basically advocating people slow it down and do the opposite. Yeah, I guess you, it, it's, it's a thing that what the we've seen happen a lot is if you skip that step, sometimes it gives you more work because you make assumptions. And when you make assumptions, you make, you, you do a bunch of work based on those assumptions. And you later on, you might find out that some of the assumptions you made were not correct. And it means you have to go back and rework them. 
And then when you when you get you know deeper into understanding it and you're reworking them, you might find you need a little bit more in insight or information. So then you you kind of go back and, and learn and understand what you needed to know. Um, so in the beginning, it seems like a little bit more work, but actually in the long term, following that process saves time down the road and 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 helps you get to the solution faster. That's what we found over and over again. And what I'm seeing for a pattern here is I had the opportunity to ask one of the largest affiliates that I've ever come across. And I said, what was the key to your success or why were you able to grow when everyone's kind of like chasing in their tails going, you know, I want to be like the, the 20th best affiliate. And this person's like in the top three. And he said, uh, most people don't have a long-term approach. And I think with what you're saying is kind of the same thing. When you have a long-term approach, you basically say, let's lay that foundation or the process to build uh, what we're doing and say, well, when you have a long-term strategy, you think about everything in, in detail, especially I think the, the design part. I think so too. Um, I think so too. Also, what I found is that things usually take, require more patience than we expect. They usually take longer. Um, so working on a, a new affiliate website, you know, most people will experience that it takes longer than they estimated. Um, and so having a longer term view just enables you to, you know, you know, avoid the, that, that desire to cut corners and, and invest in, in processes to try and get things done properly. And yeah, we, we try to factor in sometimes, you know, the fact that sometimes things take longer than, than you think. And also you don't get as disappointed quickly. I could imagine an affiliate marketer who think who's aiming for quick results, uh, and when they they find out that things take longer than they anticipated, you have that sense of disappointment, which could give you the uh, feeling of oh, should we give up? Should we change course? Whereas if you have that long term view, you're going to be a bit more resilient for those kind of you know occurrences and those types of feelings. When things take a bit longer, you're you're you can have the attitude of okay, well, um, that's unfortunate, but we're in this for long term. So we're just going to learn from this and keep going. And we're going to get to our goal eventually. So I, I think that mindset helps quite a bit. And it's a pretty rare mindset. Um, thinking about the process you have for uh, taking a client like us or anyone else that wants to redesign their SaaS, uh, tell us the process of what those users go through and how you kind of build out a workflow for redesign. Because I believe your answer to that is literally going to be a perfect uh, uh, workbook or playbook for affiliates that they could use. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, we, we approach things. Um, we have two different types of engagements. One, it's where we're designing something new. And the other is where we are redesigning a platform that already exists. Um, did you want me to focus on the redesigning of a platform that already exists? I want both. Uh, let's start with yeah. one, though. Um, with a new one. From... Yeah, let's start with new, brand new. That's okay. So when we start with a brand new platform, that is where we go on. We have to do some discovery. And that is where we, we're really understanding the users. So who are these affiliates? How do they work? What, what are their um, motivations? What, what are they trying to achieve? What do they consider like a, a successful outcome? You know, what the, the, their desired outcomes look like? So we get to really understand that, but we we also do um, 
understand the landscape around them. So the business model of the, of the SaaS company, you know, how they, you know, what they provide to affiliates, how they monetize that, how to affiliate perceive the value in their product or their business. So we, we understand the whole business case and we really need to, because otherwise we, we're not going to be able to design effectively for it. Um, so that usually takes workshops and UX research in the, in the beginning. So those are the, that's the first kind of phase. When we, when we have all enough information to be able to design something effective, we go into wireframing. So for people who are not familiar with what wireframing is, it's where it's like mocking out, mocking up a blueprint. It, it almost looks like an architectural drawing. There's no color. There's no, not a lot of detail. There's no actual content, but we're just using uh, black and white layouts uh, and using blocks to indicate areas of content. And we, we form the structure of screens that, that would make up this uh, software. Um, that enables us to resolve things like functionality, navigation, you know, what, what are the key screens? How do users move through the app? Um, and then we add more detail in. So that wireframing process can get to the point where we have something that's quite detailed quite resolved and we feel like the user experience is very resolved then we move into ui where we're adding um you know color and treatments graphics icons uh, typography illustrations uh different messages that might occur along a user journey like confirmations or progress indicators through you know taking users through steps of a journey um but a key thing that we'd like to do during that process, you know, from wireframing right through to UI is, is that we go back and we check in with users. It could be the client that we're working with, but it also could be their users to, we put the designs in front of them and, and we, we say something like, Hey, you, you told us that you work in this way. You're looking for this result. Um, how does this design look to you? Do you, does, do you think this resolves your, your problem, you know, and we'll take them step by step through how something works and get their feedback. So um, that process is, is, we find it really engaging, really interesting because we're really solving problems all, all the way through um, until we get to a, a, you know, a finished design. And, and that's where our job usually ends because we pass that over to developers who then build the, the SaaS. Um, we might be, in, be involved with them for QA, seeing, you know, supporting them as they implement it. Um, and then sometimes it's just a, ge a general uh, ongoing case of designing, adding new features, improving the platform, iterating as, as things change and as, as the company learns more about their, their users and their SaaS. Um, and now for, for a redesign, we, they can have different requirements. So for, if a client comes to us and asks us to redesign their platform, we will start off with the discovery process of understanding what are the problems, what's happening in the business and what's the motivation for the redesign. We find a bunch of things. It could be that the product looks dated and it's not really standing out against competitors. So, you know, less people are signing up to use the platform because of the lack of perceived quality. Um, it could also be uh, that there could be some legacy tech technical debt in the product so uh things are very hard to change it's very slow every time they want to update something or release a new feature 
it takes a dev team, you know, a lot of time and effort. So they, 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 you know, clients have asked us before to help them redesign the platform so that they can build it again from scratch. And once they do that, they realize, okay, now we have systems that can help us develop, you know, twice as fast as we used to. And then we can release and ship, you know, much, much faster with, with the platform. So it does depend on what's happening with the business at that time and what they need to do. And we'll take that on board and then we'll go through the process of redesigning. So we do, we, we take what they've already got, we assess it and we look at how we can improve things. If there are confusing areas, say the navigation might be confusing to their users, we'll go through and redesign, restructure the navigation, make it logical, group things in a logical fashion, um, make sure that there's contextual navigation. So wherever the user is in the platform, there's always something that helps them navigate to whichever journey or whatever task they want to achieve. And that it's really clear and, and intuitive. Um, and then we'll work through, yeah, other, other areas. Um, you know, is there, is the product, um, difficult to use because there's not enough guidance, then we'd, you know, we'd design the user flows to make them easy, but also include some steps to explain how to do things, just, you know, make it much clearer, but generally a lot of time, what we're doing in a redesign is improving the user experience and modernizing the UI, bringing it up to like a very modern, clean, um, aesthetic that enables the perception of that platform to just dramatically be improved. Um, and that usually we find that that is a quite a big boost to a SaaS company because the find they find it a lot easier to, for you know, to get users on board and for those users to upgrade and, you know, want to give, give the product a try. Uh, I've got an, an, as an affiliate marketer, you'll want to celebrate your first sale, learn about a drop in clicks and revenue, discover new brands, be notified when programs close, see an increase in earnings per click, identify underperforming campaigns. Your affiliate programs won't tell you when these things happen, but we will. Whether good things are happening to your business or bad, we are here for you and we've got your back. Statsdrone is the number one affiliate CRM tool that helps you get your data, manage your biz with CRM tools, and analyze data with business intelligence. Visit statsdrone.com or find the link in the show notes. Another question which has more to do with our experience in working with you where when we got started, we worked on the ICP so your team could understand what kind of users do we have? Like, uh, do we have like advanced users, basic users? What is their experience? And we thought we had a very clear understanding of what that was, but we felt that at the start of the exercise, we gained a sharper insight. And halfway through the redesign, as we're building things, um, I think uh, some of these ideas become clear. And for us, we almost feel like we had an aha moment where we were building tools that are kind of more data focused for affiliates and we're, we're thinking, Maybe our, our angle or our core messaging has more to do with CRM. And the more we build those CRM tools, the more people are saying, that's my biggest pain point, actually. So I'm wondering if you've had with other uh, clients any of these um, unique transformations or uh, unique discoveries that have uh, happened. Yeah. Yeah. One really springs to mind, actually. We worked on an events platform called Virtual Summit Software. And um, this software would enable people to 
set up, create and set up their own virtual summit and host it would give them a web page, you know, that it would also enable them to have a mailing list and mail out. So it was, it was a CRM and a hosting for the virtual summit and provided a website all in one. So it did everything you need. Um, and there were three types of users. There were, there were agencies who would be running virtual summits for their clients. There were um, consultants who either worked for an agency or worked for a client and they were just an in independent, you know, one person business and they were setting up um, or setting up or supporting companies with their virtual summits. Or we found business owners who would be using it for their own business. They're setting up their own virtual summit. And we did a series of interviews with all of these um, different profiles. And the, we found that one stood out as a real champion for the product who gets the most value, who's the most committed, who will put the work in to get, get the results that the platform can give them. They got the most value. And that was the, the business owner who's running a virtual summit for themselves because they were very invested because it was it's kind of marketing their own business. And they also knew everything that they wanted to put into their summit. The agencies had a lot of restrictions because they were doing things on behalf of other people. They'd run into a lot of blocks. Uh, they wouldn't be able to have access to things or they wouldn't know the answers to all of the content. Um, and they just generally, generally struggle. So a lot of them eventually would churn or they wouldn't finish and actually get to launching the summit. So basically we, we redesigned the product to really focus on the business owner um, profile and that really helped engagement with that software. So once, once we focused on, on that user and that use case, then they realized that the, the product fitted them even better and, and it gave them the tools that, that, that made it easier for them to run virtual summits uh, and all the support. So yeah, it had a really good, really good impact and it, and it definitely helped them get more users, more, they started to get more free trials when they promoted, you know, through the marketing. And they also increased their free trial to paid upgrade conversion rate. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of thing can happen quite often when you go through that process, you just learn more insights and it helps you to focus on the most impactful area. Now, some of these things for customer interviews, I mean, we kind of associate them with SaaS. Uh, but I don't really see them in affiliate marketing. And I'm wondering if this topic of customer interviews, uh, things like CSAT and NPS, like Net Promoter Score, there's all these metrics that SaaS companies are starting to use to uh, really get uh, more data-driven about what's working, what's not working. And I'm wondering if you think maybe affiliate sites should be considering this of going, how do we do? Uh, what can we improve? And you know, just kind of uh, understanding metrics beyond uh, the standard. Yeah, I think those are always helpful if you're if you're delivering a, a service to somebody, you know, or a product. You always want to get that feedback. You know, is this really serving you? Are you getting the results that you that you need from this? Is it is it helping? Um, I, I like NPS because it just gives you an overall satisfaction score, so you know in in general. But we we look at two types of data. We look at um, qualitative and quantitative data. So um, some of that is quantitative is say, we've released this feature. How would you rate it out of five? And then 
we'll be able to get a score. So NPS is, is a bit like this. And qualitative data gives us more explanation or context. So the user might say to you, oh, this affiliate website is great, but it's missing this information. And, I, and there's, there's such and such a thing that I've been trying to do and I can't do it. You know, can you either build it or, is it, or uh, do you know another platform I can use? Um, it's that data that's really, it, it, it's harder to sort because you, you'll have lots of different comments, but that data can be really insightful because that, that gives you the, the answers of, of what to do. Um, so they say, say, they say quantitative data tells you, um, what the problem is and qualitative data tells you how to, how to solve it. So we kind of look at it that way. I've interviewed a lot of different people like Oliver Kenyon from ConversionWise talking about CRO, uh, quite a few people in SEO and a few people in content and I'm starting to notice a pattern that most of them say it's either 1% or less than 1% of people do these best practices. And I'm just kind of, kind of wondering for all the SaaS apps that you see, uh, what percent would you say actually do design really well? Um, definitely the larger funded SaaS companies. So when, when a SaaS company gets to series A and beyond, uh, they'll usually start hiring an in-house product team. Um, and that will consist of, uh, head of product, product managers, um, and product designers. Uh, you might also have UX, UX people. If they're not a designer, they could be a UX researcher in there. Um, that's the, that's usually the stage at which companies start to take product design quite seriously. But before that, you get a real range of uh, different levels of investment in design. We see that um, if there is a co-founder with a design background, then it's valued more from the beginning. But that's actually quite rare in SaaS. Um, and what happens typically is that products get built with engineers. And, and usually the engineers will be the people designing the product. Um, and they'll build something that technically is very good and, with, with, uh, and it could be feature rich. Um, but what happens is that they'll get to a certain stage where they have traction and customers and they'll either get feedback or realize through their own observation that product needs to have a better experience and needs, needs to be designed better. So usually around that seed stage, um, or if they're bootstrapped, it could be five to 10 years into the, into the product journey. Um, they really look to invest in design or they, they start to appreciate the value of it and the impact that it can have on their, on their business. So, um, yeah, it varies, but I kind of look at it more as a stage, a stage thing uh, for SaaS companies is part of that comes down to just the access to the resource that they need, you know, because it's building a SaaS is expensive. Um, and it takes a lot of, uh, effort, skill and resource. So many early stage companies just don't have the resource to invest in design. So they'll prioritize development and then maybe product marketing. Um, so it's all a case of when they get to the point where they feel they're able to do it. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think that's maybe why, uh, we were drawn to your company in the first place where I've got a design background. So I've had an appreciation for the work, but I was very tempted to do it myself, but I'm very grateful. I didn't, it's, uh, I'm definitely not going to compete with you ever again. <laughs> yeah. Well, we always, we always say that the, um, 
the founders and you know C level people in in the business should re- really be working on the business, and they'll make the most impact there. Um, and design, if you think of it in terms of founder level role, design is is really taking taking them away from the the areas where they'll have the most impact. So we would consider that to be something that should should be delegated. Um, and either either in-house or to a team like us. And the benefit of us is that we that we just have so much insight into SaaS and we're very specialized. So we'll, we see, you know, hundreds of SaaS products and we design a lot of SaaS. So, so we can kind of bring the equivalent of a product team insight to a business. Um, but yeah, it's better. If the, if the, I think your impact, John, is definitely more, that there's a lot more impact that you can make with, you know, finding your next funding round or speaking with customers or, or, you know, making sales. Um, so for, for me, it's quite great that we can actually liberate that from you so that you, you can focus on those impactful areas. And let's assume that, you know, in building an affiliate site, you only had one person to hire on the design team. Um, my, th- my thesis or theory in doing this, uh, interview with you was that uh, I believe uh, maybe more product focus or product design is more important than a regular designer. So if you want to build a website or design it, usually you find a design agency and you go with them. Um, how, how would you look at this uh, process a little differently? Or what's the, what's the person you would personally hire if you had to build your affiliate review site or comparison site? If I had to hire one person... Yeah, because there's quite a lot that goes into it. Usually, you'd, in an agency, you'd have a project, you know, a project manager, someone dealing with content. Uh, you know, that could be a team copywriter, and then somebody else with a kind of content strategy. And then you'll have a designer, and you might have somebody managing the process to the kind of client. So, um, but from our side, we, you see, a good designer has a broad skill set, um, especially in product design. Because because product designers need to have a technical, and you could say this for general web, you know, website designers too, but they need to have a technical understanding of development, you know, how things are built on the web. In order to design for the web, it's really important to have that skill set. Um, and then the uh, design skills and design theory of, you know, what what is best practice, uh, what makes user experience really effective. Um, and then an experienced designer has been exposed to project management and is able to plan, uh, and project manage, um, each of their, you know, website design projects too. Uh, so I'd think, I think I'd hire, uh, like a, quite a skilled web designer for that task, quite a skilled web designer because what we see a lot of is is people hiring junior designers, especially in early stage SaaS. We see that quite a bit. And what happens is that designer becomes somebody who you, you kind of have to tell them what to do and then review their work. Um, but a really great designer will be coming and proposing to you the best way to do something. Hey, this is the most effective way to create your website. They'll challenge your thinking. And they'll have the domain expertise to be able to do that. Um, and then, you know, if it, you know if they're experienced and, and talented and skilled, then you benefit from 
the insight and the feedback that they provide into that process. So we tend to hire um, mid to senior level designers uh, because um, they lead they lead the projects and they're able to consult. Um, but with with juniors, it, it takes up a lot of time to manage them. So I think I think of it in terms of the level of the designer's experience is really important. Um, and that that's really important. So yeah, uh, kind of mid to senior level web designer, I think I'd go with. And although this was a curveball, like, you know, bringing you on to our affiliate marketing podcast, I still want to finish off by saying, what do you see the future of affiliate marketing as it intersects with business intelligence? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, well, the trend of AI is huge, isn't it, right now? So what we've been seeing is the software that's making quite a bit of impact in the marketplace because of the trend and the buzz around AI means that um, those products have been getting the most attention and people are trying them out more and people are very interested in how that's going to shape their work uh, and their industries. Um, so I am convinced that there'll be more and more AI automating the work of affiliates and business analytics and, and reporting around that is, is going to be able to um, mean, I, I think it will mean that you can probably make faster changes to your campaigns, um, course correct or try new things. Um, and what we're seeing in products on our side is um, AI being done on scale, but then also personalization being introduced to the AI so that it doesn't look like it's actual AI work. So that um, a good example of this, we, we worked on a, on a product that produces content. So you can, you can automate your content production and it will use things like ChatGPT uh, and MindJourney to create images and, and create blogs. But then there are other tools that you will then put those blogs through to make that content look like it's been written by a person rather than AI. So then um, Google or, or, you know, re readers of the content won't re wouldn't really be able to detect that it was AI. So I think this kind of thing will, will be brought into affiliate marketing more and more just, just to do, deal with the heavy lifting. And then, and then, um, analytics will be, yeah, used to, to kind of course correct. What do you think? Does that sound like something that, that you think is, is, is either happening or can happen? I think so for, I mean, I can look at it for multiple different angles. I mean, from my side, just being a company that's not even profitable yet, we're seeing a lot of interest in customers, uh, the discussion, uh, companies literally want to acquire. So we're seeing an interesting thing on just the data side, and we don't even have to touch AI for it to be interesting. But I, I think from your point of view, um, this is where I think you have a really unique advantage is you get to see the the growing up and coming SaaS companies of either the future or that are happening right now. So I think uh, your perspective is a unique window. And it's funny that uh, you brought AI into this topic where I didn't even have an AI question, but quite uh -huh. frequently AI comes up over and over again. And I think there's a weird intersection of AI, but also understanding that not everyone wants to interact completely with AI. And it's like, where do users fit into this context? And you know, where's the human element in touch? And 
I think we're going to see a weird world where AI and business intelligence and analytics are, they're going to be driving a lot of data-driven decisions to make things happen, whether it's affiliate sites, SaaS companies, content, it's all going to change. Yeah, I think that's the really interesting thing that's kind of being developed right now. It's, it's how, how we interact with AI and the human element, exactly as you, as you mentioned, um, because there are some tasks that can be automated completely without you know, necessarily having human input or, or interaction. But there are areas where AI is being used that has a lot of human interaction. So, you know, it's like, how do we, how do we keep that involvement so that people interacting with AI, you know, you know, ha have a good experience uh, and it's not just alienating. So I think that, that that's going to be something that we see over the next couple of years unfold a little bit more. Uh, Peter, this was very insightful. Um, I love chatting about design, product design, UX with you. Obviously, we're a customer, so I'm a big fan of the work you do. How can people get a hold of you? Um, yeah, so um, you can check me out on LinkedIn. It's Peter Loving, Peter Loving on LinkedIn. Um, we also have a YouTube channel, so we're user active on YouTube. That's our channel. We talk about design topics on on there. Um, yeah, and uh, you can visit our website, useractive.io. And you can find all of that information in the show notes. Peter, thanks so much for, for joining us. Thank you, John. It's been great to be here. Okay. And there you have it. That was Peter Loving from useractive.io. And I just want to add one more insight to everything that he shared with us today, which is a lot of really large affiliate companies are now starting to hire people in the product department. So it's not just a trend that we're talking about it with Peter, with his company, but affiliate marketers on the, the larger end are starting to incorporate this. And now it's at that time where I ask you for a little bit of help, which is as of today, we only have two ratings on Apple Podcasts. If you could do me a favor, if you are a listener on Apple to give us a rating and review or do that wherever you listen to your podcast.